Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, features editor at Billboard and Broadway fan extraordinaire here. So if you listen to the podcast regularly, and even if you don't and just happen to follow musical theater, generally speaking, you know that the so-called jukebox musical is an ever-present thing on Broadway these days. And you know, it's a convenient way to refer to musicals that are based on the life stories or musical catalogs of specific artists, but it has always seemed kind of unfair as a label to me. The idea of a jukebox to me conjures just kind of pressing play and hearing the hits that you want to, forgetting the context in which they first appeared, kind of forgetting the stories of the artists themselves, giving the sense that on their own, these songs are enough to carry an audience's attention, and that's kind of all that matters. And for plenty of shows, uh, that is enough. Presenting hits sung by talented actors on stage uh, is enough to make for a successful run, and it doesn't really matter how great the story is. But I think that the term really shortchanges the shows that, yes, fit this so-called jukebox definition, um, but do have the kind of really rich story that combined with great music is what makes for a great show, period. The musical on this week's episode, I think, is the greatest example I've seen so far of this genre, and I've seen a lot of them. Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations is all about the groundbreaking Motown group whose songs are not only central to pop history, but feel like part of modern American history on a larger scale, too. Of course, The Temptations music is reason enough to see the show. It's amazing. The group had 42 top 10 hits, 14 number ones. Most were written by two of the greatest songwriters uh, of the time, Smokey Robinson and Norman Whitfield. They were alternately elegant and fiery showmen on stage, a product of Motown leader Barry Gordy's very precise and savvy strategy. But beyond their songs, they which can still feel omnipresent today on the radio for sure, they were a trailblazing group of black men who both survived and thrived through some of the toughest political times in contemporary U.S. history and through their own numerous personal struggles and sometimes tragedies. In short, their story is incredibly compelling on its own and the music, and I have to say the incredible dancing as well, choreographed by Sergio Trujillo, just happens to be insanely great as well. 
For good reason, Ain't Too Proud recently got 12 Tony nominations, including Best Musical and Best Featured Actor in a Musical for Ephraim Sykes and Jeremy Pope, who played David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks, respectively. I was thrilled to have all five of the super talented guys who play the temps on the podcast this week. You want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg and plead for your sympathy, I don't mind because you mean that much to me. Ain't you proud of As you know it, please don't leave me, girl. Don't you go. Ain't you proud of I'm James Harkness. I play Paul Williams. I'm Juwan Jackson. I play Melvin Franklin. I'm Ephraim Sykes, and I play David Ruffin. I'm Derek Baskin. I play Otis Williams. Jeremy Pope. I play Eddie Kendricks. Um, as I said recently, I'm an Ain't Too Proud super fan. Uh, the show is incredible. Congratulations on all the Tony nominations. Yay, thank you. Uh, we are on the same street, actually, Billboard and Ain't Too Proud, so I get to see your little marquee every day. <laughs> um, but such a fan of uh, all of you sitting at this table and happy to have you here. Uh, so f- before we talk about the show, I have to ask first, you all went to the Met Gala last mm, week yes. and there were some definite like strong looks being served. <laughs> and I I feel like I need I need looks. to hear about, yeah, it's a, definitely L-E-W-K. Uh, so I need to hear about how that all happened, like what the like guiding idea was. There were some great hairstyles too, I noticed. Yeah, Jeremy I think, especially. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was really dope is we, we've we had the pleasure of um, Anna came to Anna Wintour came to see the show, um, I think about a month or two ago. Um, so we kind of all had joked about going to the Met. We we called that show our audition for the Met. So we wanted to make sure our costumes looked the flyest and our hair, our wigs in the show. Or, you know, like that's we we just cut up like that. So when we actually got the invitations, it was really cool that you know she had saw our show and loved it and wanted us to kind of be there for that night. So. Um, we all began to talk about like what what will we wear? You know, it's it's the biggest kind of costume party of the year, and we were able to reach out. and Tom Brown wanted to style all five of us, which we thought was very great because very similar to the Temptation, they all were very cohesive in their styling. So, um, you know, we were able to go to the showroom with Tom Brown and just kind of pick out looks, and they're very open to what spoke to us and what we felt like we wanted to wear. Um, so it was really exciting when we got to the Met because we felt like we looked our best. We know that people had like been looking out for us and making sure that it was tailored to the nines. Um, and then we kind of all were creative with our accessories and hair and different things like that. And it was all a blur. But when we look back at the picture of us on that carpet, we mm-hmm. we really looked like a, a real a real dope dope group and we we say yeah. that we shut down the Met. We shut yeah. it down. They say it too. Our word on the street <laughs> is the temptations came and shut down the Met. Word on the street is that we were the word on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys meet any like surprising famous fans while you were there? Because I, I feel like it's cool that the, the Met Gala has really like embraced Broadway lately and it seems like all of the the shows kind of get to make a showing. Yeah, I mean there was uh I think as soon as we got in, there's you know there's like a reception hold, and we I, we got to talk to Regina Hall, um, who actually had seen the show the night before, um, so we were she was fresh out of seeing it, and she wanted to come back and meet us, but it was just it was a weird day. We were all kind of running out um, from a Sunday performance, so it was good that we got to connect with her because you just never know who's actually in your house, you know, your theater 
night by night. So that was cool that we got to just talk with her. And um, again, it's, you know, one of the biggest parties of the year for celebrities. So everywhere you turn, there was, you know, dope people to meet and talk. And no one's there with a publicist or a manager. So it's free <laughs> for all. So we, we a lot of us had separate great conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really special night. Yeah, I think we, my vivid, most vivid experience was with Celine Dion, I think with the, with uh, James and Derek, Derek. Mm-hmm. and her, you know, just embracing us and dancing with us, and we were singing Whitney singing Houston. With, singing Whitney she Houston with Celine yeah. Dion. Oh, what? God. On the I, dance floor. I almost what? lost it. What song? I almost lost it. It was I Want to Dance with I Somebody. I Want to Dance with Somebody, yeah. And oh she God. started... Celine Dioning and you know what that means. You know what that you means. Know what it's that just means. a verb, yeah. And then next thing yeah. you know, J-Lo runs in and she's dancing and singing too. I'm like, like oh, all God. four of us were like, Crazy. I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. It was just so insane. <laughs> it was a moment. I'm like dying on your behalf. That was <laughs> but so I started singing bad. silently because I was like, I actually want to hear you sing. Because <laughs> you Celine Dion, I'm getting a free concert right now. I did the who's and the odds. It was so good. It was just so good. That experience I will never forget. Well, camp is just like a way of life for Celine. So that's, it's like the best moment ever to meet her. Um, so before this show, I feel like this is the kind of show where you go and you're like, okay, I knew these there were Temptation songs, but I didn't know there were this many and this many hits. And you hear certain songs and think like, oh, didn't know that was them too. Um, so were you all fans before this? Did you know so much about their story and kind of how deep their history went? Or was this kind of an education for you too? I would say I grew up with this music. I already knew all of these songs. Like this was my household playlist. To, you know, I I remember vacuuming to this music when I was <laughs> it's good vacuuming Saturday music. Yeah. Chores. Oh yeah, you get a lot done with this music is on. Um, and I, of course, I'd heard a lot about their stories, their individual lives. Of course, growing up, it's almost like I always say it's kind of like black folklore. A lot of their stories just told spoken history. Not a lot written so much besides like uh, Otis Williams' book and stuff like that. But um, it's funny enough, actually, me and Jawan met doing the Motown musical on Broadway years ago, and we got to beat Temptations together. So we got even further, you know, look into their catalog and their kind of research, and that's how me and him started, like, working together and being friends. And so Broadway debut was with him. Yep, Broadway debut for him. So I don't know, I have a long, personally, I have a long, deep kind of history with this music, mm-hmm. for sure. And I'm the probably complete opposite. Like, I didn't know their story at all. Um, so, uh, you know, in reading the script... Uh, and reading uh, Otis Williams' autobiography, everything was new for me. So I was able to kind of like, you know, just have an open mind and to learn everything um, firsthand. Uh, it was really interesting because, you know, these men, you know, they're icons, right? And and we have this ideal of what an icon is, so this larger-than-life figures. And then you read their stories and you hear their stories and you realize that these guys are just, you know, they're flawed individuals. And we, uh, you know, we have the responsibility of showing the humanity of these men um, uh, eight shows a week. And so learning about their stories, um, for me, it was kind of enriching. It kind of, um, you know, I was able to relate to him, to Otis Williams, the character I play, um, and to all these guys, uh, because I'm also, I'm also flawed, you know. And so I was able, as an artist, it's interesting to kind of um, look at another artist's life and how it parallels to yours. And I think, I think that's what we get to do every night. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you like for the whole show, you're telling the story. And then oh, at the shit. end, we're like, we're like, when is he going to have like his big, big number? And then you're like, OK, yeah, he can sing, too. <laughs> that was a bit of a revelation. <laughs> they hold me back for a little while. 
Otis never led a song, yeah. so you're like, yeah. oh, can he really sing? And then Derek goes up and he's wailing, so it's, it's yeah. crazy. And the whole house <laughs> comes down. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, something that you said about the fact that they're icons but that they're flawed, I think that's points to two great things about the show. One, that I think that when you have a show that tells the story of a musical group and uses their canon as the score, it could be very hard not to fall into the trap of just impersonations or mm-hmm. um, only showing one side of a story and just making it seem like just like working towards a success all the way. Um, but there are really sad aspects of the story and they're totally part of part of the show. And I think that what's most outstanding to me is that you all really come across as individuals, even though you are an ensemble, there is something whether it's the way you move or vocal inflections that just makes us know like who's who um, very clearly. And I, I'm curious to hear like how each of you, what was kind of your key into each of the temps that you play and how you kind of saw into the character initially? My key, as I've definitely said before, is through the words that Dominique wrote. Mm-hmm. That was how I really found Paul's character. I also did some research and read, I didn't read Otis's book, but there is a book called Ain't Too Proud um, that I read from, and I did some little Wikipedia research. And, um, but I really used the words that were written, but I also used the men that I'm surrounded by. And it would depend on how Otis, I'm Derek, (laughs) would, (laughs) would say a line to me or how he would respond to Jeremy. And those things informed how I fit into that world. Mm-hmm. I think the cool thing about this experience for us, or in, and I think we all agree, but I'll speak for myself, is we have Otis Williams, and he's so involved. He's been so involved in our lives just as black artists, as black men. Um, I believe it was like our first rehearsal of this work of this musical, and we sat in a hotel room with him, and we've been able to have conversations and just just hear stories. Um, so, you know, that is such a big uh, resource for us. Um, he's such, he's just a FaceTime away, a text away. So, and again, we have Dominique Morisot who wrote such a brilliant book that isn't your standard uh, machine of a, of a jukebox musical. Mm. It feels like a play and with music. And I think the thing that's beautiful about our show is we're not selling you the music because you already know the music. Most people know this music. Mm. So they come in with that, but we're like here to inform you on the truth. And I feel like we, as these icons, as these artists, have the responsibility of showing up for these men every night mm-hmm. and telling their truth, good, bad, ugly. Um, so that kind of creates this world where we get to play and talk about what it was like for these black men in the 60s, you know, in 70s and 80s, and just like how they were crossing over, but it was their first time at what any of that meant. So, you mm-hmm. know, to talk about the highs, but also the lows of that. And, you know, it, it's very healing to the audience, like Derek said, when you see you know, uh, another, at least for me, being an artist, you know, knowing what another artist was going through, the struggles that they were going through, because, again, everyone is flawed in their own way. Um, Doesn't make them, you know, greater or less than, but, you know, it just makes them human. And that's what we get to do, which is really dope. Mm -hmm. I think one key thing for me um, in wanting to understand how to uh, portray David, but also just understanding this whole story and these men and knowing more about their lives is, like I said, we go through not just their their hits and their triumphs. Like it's, I wanted to dig into their pain. You know what I mean? We had to go look and take a real look in terms of like their trauma, the things that they 
uh, or the people who hurt them and the people they hurt, mm -hmm. uh, the places that they ran away from. A lot of them ran, uh, almost all of them, right? All of them came up out of the South mm -hmm. uh, and what they were running from as children. Like David left home at 13, 14 years old and hit the road singing gospel just to get away from his environment, knowing what, you know, his abuse from his father and stuff like that. So you understand the pain of these men and uh, put that on top of like the gospel roots that they come from. And it kind of starts to, you start to understand more of even the sound they created, why it sounds the way it is. You know, people, you would hear David's voice like, wow, he's screaming, sound like his chest gonna come out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, But you understand he's, he's covering up so much pain. You know what I mean? So I think a lot of us, and especially I'll speak for myself and trying to understand David, it was under, kind of diagnosing his uh, psyche and his, his heart and uh, then being able to understand why he acted the way he acted and mm -hmm. then why he sang the way he sang and that kind of stuff. No, I think with David in particular, that whale, there is so much pain in it. Yeah, it's not just like... He's singing about love. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he's covering up and how he lived his life. He's covering up a lot of damage that he, like even like myself sometimes, and a lot of people in uh, this country, but I'll say especially in the black community and black men, we mask our pain in a way. We don't even know we're experiencing such kind of trauma that we just keep running away from things. We keep covering it up with our machismo, with other mm -hmm. kind of ways that turn abusive uh, mm -hmm. in the grand yeah. scheme of things. I think one thing that's been interesting that, you know, kind of taglining what Ephraim said and Dominique has said this is just accepting these men for a whole, for for everything that they are. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for icons, for legends, we, 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 you know, want to just accept the good. We want to accept the music and the art and to celebrate that. But I think we have an opportunity at showing them whole, you know, showing, the, like Ephraim said, just the dark side, the things that they were facing, which equaled great, painful, beautiful music. You know what I mean? So it was like, what what does A plus B equals C equal? You know, and it's like, it takes a lot of sacrifice. And if there's one word, that's what these men had to do is they had to sacrifice a lot. And then you kind of go like, oh, I now have a better understanding of why there is only one original temptation left standing. Mm -hmm. Because they were running, they were fighting, they were struggling, there was sacrifice that equals that, you know? So, you know, we have the opportunity of celebrating the legacy of the temptations. They're still going strong. Otis is still performing. It's crazy to think that some nights we're at a half hour and so is he. That's you know crazy. what I mean? And for a man to have that fire and that calling on his life and to still be after something, to still be running towards something, that greater, you know, that greater calling. So it, it is it's just a beautiful thing. Um, as as beautiful and as sad as the story can be, you know, it, it's 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 life. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just want to also just say, and I think that's one of the most beautiful things about getting to tell this story and what people are going to be coming to see when they come see the show is there's a line that David has in the show, I'm not just some song and dance. And this show is not just a song and dance. Mm -hmm. uh, it could have just been relying on the canon, but there is so much truth and we're not telling a story. This story is real. And and that's an incredibly important thing. And it's also everything that they went through back then is still so relevant today. You know, so even younger, the younger generation that's going to come in and watch this show, they're going to find so much that they understand and relate to. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think that it's uh, again, as like Jeremy was saying, it's it's not it doesn't have that machine feel. You feel like you're sitting up and listening and wanting to know more. And I mean, I think it's really electrifying in that way. It's not like oh, I'm going to sit back and listen to some songs. I know I like. Um, it's uh, you really feel like you're learning as as the show goes along. Um, 
I mean, I wanted to talk about the just the vocals to, <laughs> on one point um, because these strike me as the kind of harmonies that they they sound so effortless, but I'm sure they're very intricate. Um, so I, I would love to hear just a little bit about kind of where your voice fits in the overall Temptations kind of tapestry and just what the singing those harmonies is like. And is it very challenging? Like I assume no, it must be. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, the, um, the base of the group. <laughs> And I think that each one of our voices contributes to the whole. Um, I always say that it's a it's a team effort. It's a it's a relay race to you know vocally speaking because you know Jeremy he's the trumpet. Um, uh, I'm the bass. He's he's the trombone. Uh, I feel like I feel like I'm the trombone. Ah. You think you're the trombone? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> the trombone. You actually might be the trombone. I feel like I'm the trombone. You might be a trombone. You may be, but <laughs> either way. He's a tennis sax. <laughs> I can give you that. I can see that, yeah. He's a tennis sax. And then he just fits in. He, I'm he like can jump in and out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm listening to a grind. <laughs> <laughs> I think the group wouldn't survive without one of our voices. The moment that one is gone, you hear it and you know it and you feel it. And I think that we're so strong together in our, you know, and the longer that we sing and we've been singing together, like it's just become effortless, you know, an effortless thing to do. Um, I enjoy singing with them and, you know, hearing and listening to them individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things where, you know, now it's a blessing. When we were in it, we were kind of like, why is this taking so long? We, You know, we had to go out of town for a little bit before we got to Broadway. Um, it's, it's coming up on our two-year anniversary of working on this show. Um, but we needed that time because the show is marinated story-wise and vocally. So it's like, it's funny that you say, like, is it hard? Because I actually don't even think about it when we get on stage. We mm-hmm. know the music so well. You know your part so well that you kind of just like you just kind of sing where you're supposed to be. We were actually at the Met. Someone asked us to sing something, Good Morning America specifically. They were like, can you just sing this like thing? And at first we started to kind of be like, scram, like, what are we going to sing? And then I was like, I think it's just, this is the key. And then we just started singing and it just worked. And it kind of happens like that all the time, but that's just because we're so tuned into each other and we've done this show so much that it becomes this like second nature where you don't ever second guess where you're at Mm. in the part of, and, you know, in the whole of the group. It's not like Derek would ever go to the top note and sing Eddie. He's like, this is where I live. And you're like, great, you hold that, he holds that, I hold that. And then it becomes this, like, beautiful harmony, mm-hmm. um, which has been really cool. But, again, we don't really, I mean, for me, I don't really think about it as much because we've just, it's so marinated. It's like, in, you know, it's just in the groove of it. So when we get on stage, we know what position you play. There's mm-hmm. another great, speaking of the groove of it, like, the actual music itself, these starting from what the Funk Brothers made, you know, back in the day, like the actual orchestrations that were going into this music, the things that Norman Whitfield, you know, and them were writing back then, it was actually monstrous. So if you just like allow yourself, we even, I allow myself sometimes while, while we performing, like let's just listen to these. Or, our uh, orchestrator Harold Wheeler, Wheeler is getting a special Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm-hmm. Tony, like the his orchestrations, literally what the musicians are doing down there is like magical and it's gorgeous. So uh, uh, as well as singing with each other, we get to listen to this band, like mm-hmm. do this thing live every night and like yep. let's sing with that. How does this music drive you? Like how does this movie, because uh, and just with the Temptations catalog, it was beyond their amazing voices. Th- those, what those guys were doing with those instruments in their hand and like how it was written was actually very cutting edge. It was very fresh. We had this country had, had hadn't really heard anything like it before, mm-hmm. uh, and I still feel that way. So the music has its own uh, way. I think of 
helping us understand where we fit in it, you know, mm. if you're allowed to carry you. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the fact that, I mean, obviously the the, the live music of the show is incredible, but that so much of of Motown was had this kind of almost orchestral score, really, yeah. mm-hmm. with like that you can't even imagine happening today. Yeah, yeah, and they were some of the first to do that for, well, they were the first pop music, but especially for popular music as a whole to use full orchestra while using a funk band. And, mm-hmm. you know, they really were pushing the boundaries with what they were uh, orchestrating and arranging. Do people just expect you to sing on command now when you yeah, go everywhere yeah, together? They, they try. Yeah. <laughs> you sound so excited. A blessing and a curse. Yeah. We know. We know that when we show up places, they they want a song or they want to dance. You know, and because that's just what the Temptations did. That's you know that's that's a part of their thing. They they dress to the nines. And they they will sing the panties off <laughs> any lady in the room. So um, it, com- it comes with the gig. The it comes with the gig. <laughs> Still happening. Still happening. <laughs> yes, I will ask about that later. Um, well, I, I think one of the other um, really cool things to, that the show illuminates is how, like, just how much groups used to work with like one songwriter and and really have this like devoted relationship. It's like funny to think of today when you see these tracks that have like 24 people on them, right. like every Drake track. <laughs> um, and um, to see the kind of devotion that they had to Smokey Robinson and then Norman Whitfield. Um, I was curious just to hear your takes on that. And are you guys at this point able to tell like, oh, that was a Smokey song. That was a Norman song. Like, do they have very different sounds oh yeah. norman is smoking I mean, smoky completely sounds different sounds smoky. <laughs> <laughs> but from the sound of again from the actual instrumentation to the lyricism they have a completely different vibe you know what i mean it's also like a, it dates the time period you know what i mean norman came mm-hmm. in closer to the 70s you could hear that psychedelic funk and that kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. entrance he used a lot more of the strings and stuff like that. He uh, made a lot of the music that we talk about in the show. Papa was a Rolling Stone. You got a four-minute intro. Mm-hmm. That's just, he liked to put his stamp on stuff where Smokey mm-hmm. was true pop, true R&B. It's simple. It's hooks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Simple melodies, simple lyrics. Like, you can you can hear something that is either Smokey or Smokey-influenced even I think today in terms of how people write melodies. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. totally. he still does it to this day. But still true to the Motown sound that Barry Gordy created. Um because he did have a, a, a format and Barry oversaw every song, everything yeah. that came out of Motown. So, you know, though they're different, they were still in the same family of what it should be. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
I mean, it's uh, there's a big Motown anniversary this year, I'm pretty mm, sure, and big birthday for Barry as well, I think. Um, I mean, it's so interesting to see the way he kind of very carefully developed and in many ways controlled um, the temps and, and had this idea of them as this very elegant um, kind of vanguard group that would not get too political. Um, and we see in the show that they sometimes missed out on hits because of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious now from having kind of been inside like the temp brain <laughs> as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that that was ultimately good for the group or do you do you feel like there there were losses because of of the way Barry viewed them? You know, it's funny. I, I had was having this conversation with a friend the other day and he asked me if I had ever brought this up to you guys. But I was thinking about war as that it was the Temps recorded the original vocals and then the song was given away. And then I thought about the fact that it's possible that had the Temps released that, it might not have been as big of a hit for them as it was. Um, and I I wonder about that sometimes. Oh, and I also wonder, you know, the Temps have been, they became the number one R&B group. Mm-hmm. And I've wondered, is that also because of the constant shift of people that came into the group? Had the had Paul not passed, had David David not passed, had had it remained the original mm-hmm. five, would they be would the group be where the group ended up? Mm-hmm. So and that's a question we'll never be able to answer, but it's an interesting thing to speculate. Um like if the country would have actually accepted the temptations had they been more um, protesting in their music is that is that uh, what we're talking about here? Yeah, I think yeah. that if they had you know been allowed to, it seems to like they would they would have wanted to go in that direction right. if they had been given the chance. Do you think that that ultimately would have been good for the group, or if it's it was ultimately to their benefit that they kind of more followed this template Barry had for them? Uh, I think honestly, uh, following Barry's template made them yeah. more successful commercially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was always Barry's intention. Um, we can always ask him. Thank God he's around. We can ask <laughs> him that. Um, but I think that his goal for the Temptations was a commercial success. Mm-hmm. And in order for, in order for you to do that, I think he played it safe with those guys. Um, uh, as artists. Um, you know, when we speak out on uh, on any injustice, um, that creates, especially for black artists, it creates a, um, uh, it, and as men, it feels dangerous. Um, and we're already perceived as dangerous. We're already perceived as, um, you know, public enemy number one sometimes in this country. And so to, um, to uh, protest your, to use your platform as a musician to protest, it p- gives you a bit of an edge. It gives you some danger. And I don't think that um, Barry Gordy wanted them to have that type of edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he wanted it, this music to cross over to all uh, demographics. Mm-hmm. And in order for it to do that, there's some things that he just didn't want the Temptations to actually cover. Not that he was completely against it. Um, but I just think he was like, this is not your lane. We want your music to reach all demographics. Um, and I don't think, I, I'm not, I would probably argue that some of the Temptations were probably not ha- completely happy with that. I think uh, they wanted to probably use their music uh, to uh, to protest the times. Um, I think I think all artists, you know, mm-hmm. they want, in whatever medium you are, I think you want to use your art to defend um, the culture. Um, 
And so I think it, it was to their benefit commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they probably sacrificed, um, they probably sacrificed, you know, their true feelings sometimes in, in, in performing some of this music. But they made I, changes and strides along the way because even though that they didn't go full protest in order to change, they would, you know, when they go to concerts, they instructed there are no ropes separating mm-hmm. groups, you know. And mm-hmm. so they made their, I guess they had, um, they came to an agreement, you know, uh, Barry and the Temps, you know, we like because we want to affect change. Okay, you're not gonna you're not gonna allow us to do it in our music. Let's us let us do it in another way where mm-hmm. we can bring people together. So I think that alongside that, they did that too. Mm-hmm. No, it seems to me too that I mean the crossover in and of itself was the statement in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for them. Maybe even if it wasn't you know lyrical. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing because I, I, also I think on the other side of it that like what if you do push the boundaries? So and a lot of times I think. I say some of my favorite artists, the ones that do go ahead and push the boundaries, it'll shake. Can I curse on here? Uh, (laughs) It'll shake shit up for sure. But especially when you're dealing with, uh, I would say, the youth and stuff like that, like that's what people want. So you have somebody like Marvin Gaye, for instance, Mm -hmm. who battled Barry Gordy on it and ultimately won that battle. And his biggest hits that we know of are what? Like What's Going On, like Trouble Man. Like there's things that this whole country is still considered pop, hugely popular. So in like the song War itself, it was a huge hit for the country. It's because of the youth, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I wonder sometimes, like, if they had say, "Let's go ahead and let's pull, a, let's you know, let's pull the trigger on this. Let's go, let's go big. Let's try it. Let's say something." It would have shaken some feather, ruffled some feathers for sure in terms of like the mass appeal. In terms of like the people that, like, you know, he has a line in the show that were secretly hating you while listening to your music, but even maybe would have broadened the appeal for the ones that needed to hear that message. So I'm always wondering, like, how the success and how we term success, you know what I mean, what would have been the difference? It might have been, I think, sometimes maybe just as big or bigger, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, because of the hoopla surrounding it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, Kaepernick right now is a bigger name than anybody in the NFL damn near, and the level of success, how do you measure the success? For him being in the league or how popular and how forceful he is in the country right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, we just like they were just juggling so much, just on like a like on a human base, and then like you have the music side of it, you know, where it's like, who am I as a black man in this in this country? Period. And then here I am, like trying to take success, you know, to the next level, take this group to the next level. So I think Barry again had a formula and a way of being like, this is how we push the boundary. And this is where I say that's enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like Jawan mentioned, in their concerts, like trying to like make it all inclusive and bringing people together and making it about the good music and celebrating the music, you know. I think he was always trying to do that, make it a celebration, um, versus kind of like starting a riot or making people upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all that all makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I do want to talk about the moves because the, I mean they're amazing, but I think they're also like so important to establishing the character of the group as a whole and each of your individual characters. And I think uh, Sergio Trujillo, the choreographer of the show, is he's. I think every show he does because he's he kind of specializes in stories of groups. Um, the, the the dance is such an important element of making the story constantly feel like it's moving along, um, and that it feels like li- really lively from start to finish. Um, so, I, I mean, you all kind of have 
a different way of moving, I think. And I think, again, that's part of... You're all of it. Like, that was not shade. <laughs> slight shade. A little bit. A little bit. I think that's true to the temps. Too. Maybe I'll just say some are more subtle than others. Let me just say that I'm the worst dancer. And I take that... I take that title uh, because, uh, you know, there's just such, you know, just great talent in the cast. And, um, you know, I learned my dancing, you know, in in somebody's basement, (laughs) Uh, which is very different from what uh, Sergio does. But um, he found a way to incorporate his his moves to, like, how we do, how we move. Mm -hmm. And that was was actually quite genius. I, I credit him for making me look good because that that was a that was a feat in itself for me to even <laughs> memorize the moves in sequence. Like I've never had to do that. I don't do. I don't. I've never really danced in a musical before, and so um, you know this this movement is um, you know it's a uh, it's an homage to the fifties and the sixties. But then he found a way to him and uh, his associate Edgar Godino. They found a way to kind of modernize. Uh, this movement so that it's, um, you know, so that you get it for today, today's youth, when, you know, kids who've never heard of The temptation see the music, and when they see the musical, um, they see our moves, and they're like, oh, that's some really cool moves. And so I think Sergio and Edgar did a really good job of honoring The Temptations' moves, but also kind of um, making it, uh, you know, more current. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, I, I guess it really, I mean, Ephraim is in his own little category, but oh. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that. But I think Jeremy and James, it really stood out to me how much your movement was kind of connected to your voices and to the overall feel of the character. Because, like, Jeremy, I was, like, really drawn to your hands and kind of, mm-hmm. like, what you were doing with your arms and your hands at all mm-hmm. times. And it had that sort of oh. elegance that, like, the high falsetto does. I'm, like, a big dance nerd. So mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what happens. And I, I think that... You know, Eddie has this, um, not Eddie, sorry, Paul. Oh. I get there are too many people to keep track of. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paul has this kind of understated elegance and he, he feels like the soul of the group in a lot of ways. And I feel like that's reflected in like your movement, too. Um, I don't know if the two of you agree at all, but that's mm-hmm. just kind of what came across to me. No, yeah, I think, I mean, they're kind of nailed it. But when we were working with um, Sergio and Edgar, you know, a lot of times it, it, they were very collaborative with what does it feel like for you guys? And we, we would do a move and he goes, it doesn't look like you guys want to do that. It doesn't feel right. We'd be like, yeah, it doesn't. And we'd find something that does feel right. And I think that is the pairing with the music, you know, so it became just kind of like the stylization. And there were certain moments in the show where it needs to be synchronized. And he's like, the step is this. And then there's sometimes he's like, no, live, boys. Let, I'll let you live. Meaning, you know. Feel free to interpret it how you will for your character, hmm. um, you know, which is very Temptations. Because if you go back and look, it's like they're doing the same steps, but it feels different to Eddie, to Paul, to David, to Otis, to Melvin. Um, so that 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 freedom is cool, you know, to know that we can kind of bring that that layer and that essence of our character also to the moves. And it isn't just a this is my choreography. It, you know, it's very it's everyone collaborated into the storytelling of it. Um, to making sure that it looked and it felt the best. Mm-hmm. No, it's not cookie cutter at all. 
Um, Ephraim, would you like to talk about how you don't tear muscles every night? Ah, <laughs> uh, I got to give uh, a lot of honor to God. I say thank you every night. I pray very hard. Um, but uh, also on the real, like um, I, I came up a dancer first primarily mm-hmm. all through elementary, middle, high school. And then I came moved to New York to go to Fordham, Alvin Ailey. So I danced with Ailey for a long time. Daily too and all that kind of stuff. So it's just kind of I've always been like a trained dancer. So when it comes to doing, you know, this is almost more step touch to me. You know what I mean versus what I mm-hmm. used to do, which is Excuse I mean, all, well, okay. Just, Excuse me, bro. I'm, I'm burning dying. calories every night, struggling, sweating. Step touch, man. You know what I, I mean. mean? Me and Derek were doing Memphis together. That was our first Sergio show. You remember That's what I was doing? I then. remember. Switch leaves, five forties. You think I'm doing splits now? I used to have to jump in the air, turn twice in the air land dropping a split and come straight like it's a lot harder what I used to have to do honestly not to say that this isn't hard so with this now and with that kind of I'm gonna punch you I'm gonna punch Jawan just so everybody knows Jawan's getting punched Um, (laughs) but uh, I gotta give a lot of uh, thanks to my teachers over at Ailey and stuff like that and all of my teachers all along that have shown me how to use the right muscles so when I do these uh, you know these splits these knee drops and all these other kind of steps that look more pedestrian I know how to do them in ways that keep it smooth but also I'm not killing my body. I know which muscles to engage uh, that you might not be able to tell, you know what I mean, what I'm actually, where the effort is coming from. So I, that's that's my little magic trick, I guess, <laughs> I got going on in my back pocket. No, well, it's like, I mean, I've spoken to so many singers over the years about, you know, how do you save your voice when you have to, you know, sing Let It Go every night or yeah. when you have to, you know, kind of wail the way you do. But I, I, I mean, there's a, a, when you're trained, there's a way that you take care of your voice. And I mm-hmm. presume it's the same with your body. Yeah, exactly the same. I'm learning the same for the singing, too, as they call it technique for a reason because it's literally how you do something that'll preserve you you know what I mean and then your own individual artistry spirituality comes through you know shines through the technique but the technique is just the enabler Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the dancing elicits a lot of reactions. And I was going to say, this is a big, like, not intentional, but audience participation kind of show. Um, you, you sit in the audience and you're like, oh, I'm listening to other people besides the Temptations <laughs> tonight, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the woman behind me. Um, <laughs> are, is that really evident to you guys on stage? Like, do you oh, have any, any funny memories of vocalization out, out in the house? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> callbacks. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, we 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 appreciate it because we know that they're with the story. They know that they're following along. And you know, for some people who, um, you know, saw the Temptations back in the day or whatever their experience was, we know that they're reliving a whole different memory and moment. Um, so we allow that. It's. I think sometimes it's tricky. Like you'll have someone in the front row who's like talking back to you, mm-hmm. and I think they they don't realize how close they are. <laughs> and like sometimes you're trying to say your line, and you're like, I actually can't hear what my thoughts because you're talking to me. You know. Uh, so that's always tricky. And um, yeah, it, it, it's it's just night by night. There's always something different that happens. Old school. Oh old yeah, school. I like <laughs> finished a song yesterday or two days ago, and then someone just yelled, "Old school." And we were like, okay, okay. <laughs> like sure, you know, like old school it is. There was um, this man in the front row a couple of weeks ago. We got to the news of Dr. King being shot, and I'm getting ready to sing. I wish it would rain. And the music starts. He goes, mm, I wish it would rain. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, me too, bro. <laughs> yeah, or like we're about to kick David out of the group, and they're like, that's right. He need, you know, like, and Derek's trying to like have this serious a conversation. Whole the whole audience busts so, out laughing. Yeah, it's you know, but we appreciate it because we know that they're just rocking with the story. And then there's moments where, like, again, go back to the Dr. King moment where we say it and 
people gasp. And I think it's it's not mm-hmm. like it's new news, but I think because you're riding that wave of the story, you feel that initial shock that, mm-hmm. you know, what the Timps kind of maybe felt. And it's always interesting because I think every night consistently there is an audible gasp for that. And also when we talk about Tammy Terrell and her passing, because, mm-hmm. um, again, it's some history that people didn't know. Um, but just the way it throw, you know, it's weaved through the story. Um kind of catches you off guard, which I think prompts the I wish it would rain in the old school because they don't they're just feeling, they're just riding the wave of, you know, ain't too proud, the laughing times of the temptations. <laughs> or if they really, really like it, we you know, oftentimes hear Sang <laughs> you know? so. It's a little encouragement in the middle of the show. That's good. Mm-hmm. It's not it, you, you I didn't hear any of like I call them exposition fairies in in theaters who like dictate the exposition of what's going on as it's no. happening. <laughs> I, like, I feel like I heard like I heard like one like, oh, he's going to sing My Girl now. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, thank yeah. you for anticipating <laughs> that. But <laughs> um, it seems like it's more just like emotional outbursts. There's a lot of like fanning oneself with the program too. Mm-hmm. I find. Oh, nice. Whenever the, yeah, whenever the dancing starts, my friend and I were just like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, do you, do you encounter ATP groupies? I feel like you guys have to have like yeah, many we're, lady we're fans. I get the cougars because yeah. my boys. They like the bass. I get all mothers. I don't get the daughters ever. It's always the mothers. The you know their their daughters who introduce me to them. Like my mother loved you. Oh, and then I'm like, not so nice to meet you. Oh, oh, come here. Just just you know, talk in my ear. Give me your deep voice in my ear, please, please. I'm like, okay, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I, I get those. Or they, I got grabbed by my hoodie once. It's it's been insane. It's been insane. We love. I mean, yeah. Like we love. We love our fans and people. And it's just such a wide range of fans, you know, because you have people that are reliving the temptations who look mm-hmm. at us as the, these temptations, mm-hmm. and then you have this young crowd of, you know, aspiring artists or just people who are in mm-hmm. town for the weekend and got to meet some really dope black artists, you know, for the night. And I think that's really cool too. So it ranges at the stage door when we go out. Most of the time, we all kind of go out and sign and meet people. And we've met people that have brought their old tickets from old temptations shows that That's they were true. at and yeah. just want us to know that you know like I saw the original you know the original temptations and you guys nailed it and you guys did it and you made them proud you know and then there's the young black kid who's like wanting us to sign their playbill and that that range is just such a beautiful thing to see you know mm-hmm. um and we also have the people who have seen the show in Berkeley and they saw the show mm. in D.C. and they saw the show in L.A. Some of Ooh. them that have even seen the show in Toronto and now they're coming out to New York to see the show. Or they've already seen the show three to four times here in New York mm-hmm. City. So, yeah, yeah, those are they're incredibly special things to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you all know each other in some manner? I mean, you two talked about doing the show together before, but I mean, were you friendly before the show? Because clearly, like, I guess you get along. I've known (laughs) Ephraim for a while. Ephraim and I actually used to help Sergio choreograph. We were guinea pigs Ah. for for Sergio's shows. (laughs) (laughs) How fun for you. (laughs) It was actually a lot of fun. We were were dancing. Yeah, that's when we used to do the the real all the, he went doing the step touches. We well, doing the step touches. <laughs> <laughs> Not a step touch in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've known of Derek for a while, um, watching his work since Spelling Bee. And then I also helped Sergio on Memphis with Edgar. And so, yeah. Um, but I didn't know Jeremy. Jeremy was, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I didn't know Jeremy, but he came into the rehearsal room because I did a little bit of pre pro with Jeremy. And then. I don't know how the conversation started, but then 
he did Invisible Thread. And then I went, oh, mm-hmm. oh, that was you. And because I had seen the show and I was like, so yeah. I saw your work, but I didn't know Jeremy. Yeah, and then the, other, the cool thing about this show is, you know, um, like, example, me and Ephraim, we're, they say we're twins, um, oh. but we always go in for the same parts for projects. Really? Um, That's really yeah, surprising. You know, yeah. because there's usually, you know, one or two black people in a yeah. project. So you kind of like, it's either me <laughs> or you, bro. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah good luck, you know? So this is just a cool project where we're all kind of shining in our own light. And, um, you know, to be in a, you know, on a stage where me, Derek, Ephraim, Jawan, James, et cetera, beautiful incredible cast kind of all get to shine in our own way which is really dope you know it's just such a a cool platform for us to be in so um, we've all known like I took headshots and photos of Jawan at one point but we've never actually been able to work together in this capacity Um, I've known Derek just again from being in the business um, and me and Ephraim again we like knew of each other because they're like oh you get called Jeremy I get called Ephraim like X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z but here we are in a project and I think when I was auditioning Ephraim sent me the script which was Derek's script so it was like when we were like still auditioning we were able like (laughs) (laughs) we were like yo you got the script he's like I think Derek got it (laughs) uh, I got the same script when I first first got that the word for my audition I was actually with Derek uh, walking my dog at the dog park he's like Ephraim you need to go in for this I was like all right. but then later on I was like Derek what do I do because I'm supposed to be doing something else right now he's like Ephraim look at the script and tell me you know yeah. see what your heart says and it's true and it's like that was the reason and I did that, that to you and I called thing. him like he's like I think you really need to do this project I was, he called he called me he's like Ephraim what do you think about this I was like bruh it's really good read the script read the exactly script. what Derek Listen did to me <laughs> I was like alright I'm sorry and Let's go. same with Jawan we all Juwan. were like Jawan is our man like, <laughs> Jawan is our Melvin we like talking to our producers like this is our Melvin and he went in and obviously killed the audience <laughs> you all have the right connect. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny that, like you say, like having this these individual spotlights shown on you in a way that maybe hasn't happened before. Because I mean, I knew the three of you before this show. I knew I that seen Invisible Thread and Choir Boy. Oddly, knew you first from Difficult People. Ah. <laughs> Difficult People stand. <clears throat> Excuse me, and Ephraim, of course, from Hamilton. Um, and I. Like all of you, I'm like, where have you guys been hiding all this time? I mean, That's you're just thing. like, I, you really you know. all have such star power. And I'm just like, you're like charisma machines. <laughs> Somebody ought to notice. <laughs> As an artist, like um, you hope and you wish for a project that kind of just fits in your skin very naturally that's going to challenge you as an artist, but that's also going to put you on a platform Mm -hmm. um, for other people to see your art. And I feel like this particular show for all of us has been, we've all had to level up. Um, uh, I think James has been in the business the longest, and um, he has just climbed the ranks. And, you know, quite oftentimes, you know, we're just not given the opportunity to... um, perform to the best of what we can do you know a lot of times we're like all right he's a great guy he's a great dancer let's put him over here in this particular box Mm -hmm. and once you once they put you in a box they don't want to let you out of that box Mm -hmm. and so with this particular show all of us um has had the opportunity to step outside of the boxes that we've all been put in and to kind of show a different side of ourselves um, and to actually level up. Um, this show is challenging on all fronts, physically, emotionally, uh, vocally, mm-hmm. um, uh, acting-wise. We've all had to bring our, not even A game, A++++ game um, to the show. Um, and it's um, a rare opportunity that 
five of us can do that at the same time in yeah. the same show. Um, and I honestly, when I do have a second, because I do have a couple of scenes that I'm not really talking where everyone else is speaking, and I just look at these men that I share the stage with, and I can remember like when Ephraim was in Little Mermaid as a little little sea urchin <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, I, and, and you know, I, I'm James has this, uh, this, the show is in a couple of sections and like the first kind of third of the show um, is where Paul Williams sings a lot of the solos. And so um, to see James just step out of the ensemble into a leading position, to a leading man, principal character. Like I look at him sometimes and like I just smile because of the opportunity that he's been given and the opportunity that all of us have been given to kind of like just just shine and kind of soar as an artist. Like it's, it's such a blessing to be given that kind of opportunity mm-hmm. and um, we don't take it lightly. And and every night where we uh, I, I feel like we cheer each other on, and 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 we also get to just witness each other be great, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just a wild ride, man. It yeah. looks like a lot of fun. It's a whole <laughs> lot of fun, and we actually like each other too. So then that's that. Thank God, actually, you know, when you're not getting pants. <laughs> that's okay because he gets his too. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun. And it's not just the five of us. We, as yeah. a whole group, have so much fun together. Um, the amount of laughter and shenanigans that happens in the wings, literally seconds before, the to the second before we walk <laughs> on stage. Yep. And it's a great thing because people see that chemistry on stage, and you can't fake it. You really, really can't fake true chemistry on stage. And uh, it's awesome. It really is awesome. Yay. Well, warm fuzzies all around. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming, you guys. Thanks Thanks for for having us. us. Well, he laid his hat, was his home. And when he died, all he left us was alone. Papa was a rolling stone, my son. Well, now, well, he laid his hat, was his home. If you like the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us stars and nice reviews if you have five seconds to do so. You can also find us on other platforms like Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you would like to talk about how wonderful the podcast is on social media, uh, I am at Rebecca Millsoff on Twitter. I am at ya down with RMM on Instagram. You can always use hashtag Billboard on Broadway to talk about the week's episode and hope to have you back soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.